Oh, when I was doing the announcements, I'm not, this one's on a separate sheet of paper, but on Sunday, May 7th, just put it into your calendar, um, at 1 o'clock up in the Fellowship Hall, we're having a welcome home potluck for the Rivera family, and so I know that many of you will want to be here for that, so stick that on your schedule. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. As we're going through the book of Galatians, and we started last week in chapter 3, throughout this book, Paul has been driving home the point, the really important point, that the gospel, the good news, is what God has done for us. The good news also is that we don't have to do for ourselves. We aren't under the law. We don't have to live by a set of rules. But for us, the reality of life is to just continue to discover how much God loves us and what he has done for us, to comprehend with all the saints, as he said in Ephesians, the breadth and length and height and depth of his love. Now, this seems counterintuitive because every religion in the world involves a set of rules that if you follow those rules, you might earn your way into acceptance before God. But Christianity flips that upside down and says, you know, you can't live under the law. You can't live by the rules. You can't reform yourself or make yourself a good person. The truth is, Christianity is you're just receiving what God has done and acknowledging what he has done. And the more you appreciate that you don't have to earn it, then the more God is able to work in your life and do that which you could never do for yourself. And so last week we saw here in, in the first few verses of chapter 3 where Paul talked about how did you get saved? How did God originally work in your life? Was it, was it by grace? Was it through faith? Or did you get saved because you did certain things? Did they give you certain good deeds that once you did them, now you got saved? No, of course not. You heard the gospel, and the gospel was, hey, you know, he already did it for you. It is finished. And so he begins to tell him, so having begun in the Spirit, now are you going to be made perfect by the flesh? See, our natural tendency is, even when we enter into salvation by grace through faith, we start to feel like, okay, now what do I do? And well-meaning people are very good to supply us with all the do's and don'ts of Christianity. You need to do this and this and this and this, and you make sure you don't do that and that and that and that. And so, having begun in the Spirit, we run into the risk of saying, you know, God started it off, but now it's our turn. He did His part, now we need to do our part. The Lord helps them that help themselves, so we better get busy. A lot of times we look and it seems like God's not doing much and we think that's our cue. We better start doing because if we don't do it, who's going to? The only hands God has is our hands and the only money he has is our money and so give and work and try. And, but Paul's saying, that's not true. The same way you got saved, just by grace. Just by receiving that gift of God, that's the same way that you're supposed to live your life. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 5, as he says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And then he goes into verse, beginning with verse 6, he starts talking about Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faithful, as he's called. Abraham, the one who's this supreme example of what faith is all about in a life. 
And he sets off Abraham as contrasted with the law. He, he, he talks about the law and the fact that it's a curse. But Abraham, justified by faith. So beginning in verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by faith in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Two ways of doing things, one of them the way of Abraham, the other the way of the law. And he talks about and he quotes from Leviticus and Deuteronomy about the fact that, hey, the law curses you. That's what it does. See, because the law itself says if you violate one point of the law, you're done. You're sunk. You failed. Once you violate the law once, the law can't do anything for you anymore. Because if you come really close but not quite there, you're guilty of the whole law. Well, there are people today that want to live under the law. In fact, I think there's something inside each one of us that wants to live by a rule book. We're scared of the concept of, of grace. And so as a result, if it's not the Old Testament law, it's another law that we make up. And we go, all I have to do is follow the rules. But you know, there's a curse to that because you can't follow the rules. And you'll end up, you start out well-meaning, you know, this week I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to see, if I can have a perfect Sunday, then maybe a perfect Monday and a Tuesday and Wednesday, and it doesn't work. You won't make it through the day. And that which was a great idea on your part, well-meaning, well-intentioned, well, you just end up being cursed and cursing others as well because you go, I can't do this. And so Paul is laying out the law and saying there's a curse to it, and that is you can't do it. Hey, the law was good if you could follow it, but you can't. And all those great ideas just come crashing down. Abraham? Abraham was a guy that God started dealing with even before the law was given. And yet he is seen as the father of the faithful. And as Paul quotes here, that Abraham believed God and God accounted it as righteousness. There in, uh, in verse 6. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 14, Abraham had led a defensive military assault against some kings who had come in and conquered some of the kings of Sodom and some other areas. His nephew Lot had got caught up in the whole thing, was taken captive, and so Abraham came, Abram was his name at the time, and he came and rescued them. And in, towards the end of chapter 14, these kings wanted to reward Abram they said, we're greatly indebted for what you have done. And so here, we're going to make you rich. We're going to give you so much treasure. And so we're going to bless you. You'll be the richest 
nomad in the desert. And Abram, something inside of him knew that wasn't right. And he told them, you know what? If God wants me to be rich, he can make me rich. But I'm not going to have you make me rich. I'm not going to do that because I don't want you to say that you made me who I am. Whoever I am, I want to be who God made me. A heroic position. He would have been justified to go, you know what? I'll take it. I'm receiving it from God, but it's through you and that's okay. As uh, one time Jimmy Swaggart said about his cousin Jerry Lee Lewis, when he, Jerry Lee Lewis was a horrible guy, married a 13-year-old and everything, but he was a big rock and roll singer. And, and he was questioned, Swaggart was questioned for, as to why he let his cousin buy him a brand new Cadillac. And, he, and, and Jerry, Jimmy Swaggart's you know, statement was, the devil's had the money long enough. It's about time God got a hold of it. But Abraham could have done that. You know what? I know that's the devil's money, but now it's time for it to be used for a godly purpose. But instead, he said, don't want it. I'll refuse it. I'll let go of it. But then he began to doubt. As he, as he went away there at the end of chapter 14, beginning of chapter 15, Abram started thinking, oh, what have I done? <laughs> I just turned down all this treasure. And God came to him in chapter 15 of Genesis and he said, Abraham, Abram, don't be afraid. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And God said, I think you're getting it. So God says, don't worry. I will be what you need. I'm your treasure. And Abram was like, hey, great. But then Abram said to God, um, how does that actually work in terms of stuff? <laughs> you know, this is, what are you going to give me? And God took him outside. And he showed him all the stars there in that desert sky. And he said, you see all those stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. And in you all bless all nations of the world. Abram's an old guy with no kids. And God's promising him the stars, the glories of heaven. And it says that when God laid that out for him, Abram just went, Phew. and it says, and he believed, and God counted it as righteousness. And that's what Paul is quoting here. Now, it's important for us to understand that when it comes to faith, it's not what people usually think it is. Over in Hebrews chapter 11, it defines faith and one of the definitions that people still don't understand. We all memorize it. Oh yeah, I know what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But what does that mean? The substance of things hoped for. If you hope for something, it's not a substance. The evidence of things not seen. Evidence is something that you see. What kind of evidence is not seen? If you're an attorney and you walk into court and the judge says, it's your turn to present your case. So you get up there and you say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I intend to prove to you that my client is absolutely innocent. Oh, the prosecutors will lay out all sorts of stories about all the eyewitnesses and the DNA and the fingerprints and, you know, whether the glove fits and all that. But, hey, don't... <laughs> Don't worry, because I can prove him innocent. And I am absolutely convinced he'll walk out of here a free man based on the evidence. And the judge says, okay, let's hear your evidence. Well, I really can't. Don't you have witnesses? 
Yeah, but I'm not going to call him. Well, where's your evidence? Where's exhibit A and B and C? Well, I'm just not going that route. I'm just telling you. My client's innocent. And I have evidence, but you're not going to see it. Evidence of things unseen. What are the chances of winning that kind of a case? <laughs> kind of shaky. But that's faith. The evidence of things not seen. The substance of things that you only hope for. Now, here, Paul is saying, taking that word, that word that he applies it to Abraham so, so perfectly and succinctly, and then you go, so this is how we're supposed to live? Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11 because Abraham is used as an example there of a giant of the faith. Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's Abraham, man of faith. Didn't know where he was going. Never really got there. Lived in a land that was promised to him, but he was in a tent and didn't own the property at all. And he, he was living for pie in the sky, by and by, the city that has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. It's like, that's faith. The funny thing is, when you dig into the story a little bit, even, even as it's presented here, Abraham's faith was not what we would often depict as faith. He was living in the land of Ur, of the Chaldees. God told him, go, go west, young man, and head to the land that will someday be called Israel. And that's the land that I'm giving you. And so, even the way we read it in Hebrews 11, you assume he just picked up and left. But we know that, first of all, God told him, leave your family, leave all of your animals and your servants and your household, he didn't do that, took his dad with him, took his nephew Lot with him, who created problems for him later, um, took a lot of his stuff with him, and instead of going west, he went north. He went to a land called Haran, and we learn in Acts chapter 7 in, in Stephen's defense where he stayed in Haran until his dad died, and then finally he heads south and west and headed down toward Israel. We sometimes think that, okay, faith means you know what you're doing. But as we read here, it's clear Abram was congratulated for his faith and he didn't really know what he was doing. He didn't really know where he was going. He didn't understand the scope of all of this, but something touched his heart. Something inside of him caused him to take this wild leap, to take this crazy chance to do what God was telling him to do, even though it didn't feel all that secure to him, never did. In fact, after he's said he believed and God counted it as righteousness, the very next chapter, he's trying to have a kid by being involved with one of his wife's servants and doing this trick whereby, well, we'll kind of adopt the kid and maybe he's helping God out. Other times, help God out by saying that Sarah was his sister so that you know she'd be given to somebody else so that he would be protected 
He's not the giant that we sometimes think he is. See, there are people today who have tried to convince us that faith equals certitude. That when you have faith, it's like you believe really strongly. I know what I'm talking about. I know this is true. And so often we set off faith with doubt as if they are opposites. But it's not true at all. In fact, if you do a study of Hebrews 11, you'll find that everyone there was, didn't know what they were doing, where they were going, were messed up, did crazy things. In fact, there right after it talks about Abraham, it talks about Sarah, all the faith she had when God said, yeah, you're going to have a kid at your age. You've already gone through the change of life, but you're going to have a kid. And she was cracking up, laughing out loud. How ridiculous, how preposterous. In fact, she named the kid Isaac, which means laughter. But the author of Hebrews says, here's an example of faith. Sarah? But somewhere in that laughter, as ridiculous as it sounded, she connected with, wow, maybe God could? I don't know. She doubted, of course. But somewhere there was that connection with the promise of God. Looking through Hebrews 11, Moses' parents are in there. They got in there because they took baby Moses and stuck him in a basket and floated him out into the river. Now, do you think they were going, I know this is going to work. As soon as we put the baby in the basket, float him out, I'm sure there'll be a princess who will come along and take him and adopt him and hire us to take care of him. And boy, one day he'll deliver his people from, it, from Egypt. Now, they were just going, this seems crazy, but what choice do we have? And here you go, what am I doing? Saving my baby's life only to have it killed by some, I don't know. But they're said to have faith. And you go through, Barak is in there. He's the guy that was supposed to go to war to help deliver Israel in the book of Judges. And he said, I'm not going to go unless Deborah goes with me. Jephthah, the guy who was so, you know, smart, had so much, uh, you know, vision that he said, the next person, the next thing that walks through that door, I'm going to sacrifice it to God. And his daughter walked through. What a, what a collection of people. Samson got in here. I mean, he was a guy, you know, a multiple-time loser of sleaze. And, and the only time he ever really accomplished anything for God was in his death. He said, avenge now my eyes, brought the house down. But it's like all these people, Gideon, who God's talking to him directly, and he's going, well, God, can you prove me, to me you're really God and make the fleece dry and the ground wet? And he does it. Okay, let's flip it the other way. And let, it's like this isn't what we think of as faith. In fact, when we start doubting, we start thinking, oh, God, give me more faith. See, faith necessitates that you don't know, that it's something that you can't see, that it's something that isn't a certitude. When I walk up on this stage, it doesn't take a lot of faith. I'm pretty sure that between the whole worship team, they weigh more than I do, and I can stand here. I've been under the stage. I know how it's built, and, and I'm certain of it. And so when I come up here, it's with great confidence. But it's not with great faith. It doesn't take faith. So often we think, oh, if I had more evidence, then my faith would increase. If, you know, I did something like, okay, I want to know that God's real, so right now I'm asking God to make a horse appear in the front of the church. Oh, man, it didn't work. Bummer. But if it had worked, <laughs> imagine how your faith would increase. No, it wouldn't. 
Actually, it takes a little more faith when you go, you know what, I said that. God could have done a great trick, would have made the Drudge Report and front page of the paper and now nothing. It didn't work. But the truth is, the thing we have to understand about faith, the faith by which we're saved and the faith by which we live is our faith increases as the evidence is unsure. That's the nature of faith. We don't like that, but that's the way it is. And there is something to just not knowing, but depending on God. If I pray and I just go, I know every time I pray, God's going to answer me. And there are people, you know, in the word faith movement that just teach, hey, if you believe it enough, it's going to happen. And, and you hear people who are just like, it's so amazing. I got sick and I just prayed and God healed me just like that. And, you know, I was praying for my neighbor and they just came over to my house and said, tell me about Jesus. I want to repent. And, you know, they've accepted the Lord right there. And time after time, I've had so many miracles this week, you wouldn't believe it. I, I drove into the Walmart parking lot, and I, and I prayed, and I got the first space after the handicapped spaces. And I was like, oh, God, you're so good. I'm living the life of faith. No, you know what? The life of faith is you're praying and still sniffling sometimes. You go to Walmart, and you can't find a parking place. And you pray and pray and pray, and you end up parking way out in the end of the parking lot. And as you get out of your car, a rolling cart comes crashing into the side of your car. And by the time you walk all the way to the store, you're just so mad, you feel like punching that old greeter at the door. It's just... <laughs> well, what takes more faith? God giving you a parking place or God making you walk through the parking lot and step in puddles? You know... See, until we understand that God's desire is for us to learn to walk by faith, and as a result, he stacks the deck against us sometimes, bringing us through trials, giving us difficulties, so that we can trust in him because we've heard his dream for us. We've heard him promise us the stars. We've heard him say, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And like Thomas, we're going, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know the way. And he goes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he says, you believe in me? And then he goes and dies. And they're like, whoa, what is this? But the truth is, when you, and you know this in your heart if you're a Christian, when you came to the Lord, how much did you really know? Did people prove everything to you? Did they just give you such overpowering evidence that you just had no choice but to accept the Lord? Did you really, before you accepted the Lord, understand the Trinity, the fact that God is three, but he's only one, but he's three, and they're distinct, but they're together, and they're one, and when, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but I'm not the Father, but I, did you really get that? And you go, okay, good, the Trinity makes sense, I think I'll get saved. Or, you know, you heard the story about, hey, someday Jesus is going to show up in the sky and we're just going to be lifted up, floating, and, you know, really? Did you really go, yep, that sounds plausible. <laughs> or that a book contains the Word of God, God actually breathed it through people. Did you really get that? I didn't, really. And I had heard a lot and discussed a lot, but what brought me to Christ was just realizing that I had no place else to go. Realizing that, you know what, I had to take all that stuff and I had to weigh it off against the fact that there was, there was a God who was telling me, trust me and I'll receive you. I died for you, 
I'll give you a fresh start. I won't give you all the answers. But you know what? You don't need all the answers. I don't need to explain it to you. The alternative is to live under a curse. To be constantly trying to do something that you cannot do. The life of faith, it's the same as how you got saved. If you got saved, think back to where you were. Now, that's not to say that you don't read or study or learn anything and you don't look for answers and evidence and all. That's all fine. But to live by faith means no matter what happens, you're always going to wonder about it. But you're going to be staking your life, your future, on a crazy dream, on a crazy promise from a God that we've never seen who says, if you trust me, I'll always be with you. And I'll take you to be with me. I'll come back for you. If you die, you'll instantly be in my presence. And you're going, man, I don't know. Sounds kind of stupid. But what if? And, and like Sarah, I could be a mom? Come on. Whoa, what if I am? Or like Abraham looking at the stars and going, yeah, I don't have any descendants and I'm going to have this many. And all of a sudden, something inside of him goes, whoa, what if it's true? What if it's real? And at that point, you discover all you need to discover about righteousness is to believe God, is to just say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Hey, if you're a person that never has doubts, you're just always sure of yourself, you're fooling yourself. You're probably lying to yourself or you're just not thinking very much. The truth is things happen in your life and in mine every day that ought to make us wonder. And those are the very gifts that God allows so that we are forced to be stretched in our faith and to say, though I don't see you still, Lord, I love you. Like Peter said when Jesus was talking about, you need to eat my body and drink my blood and they were going, What? And most everybody split. The disciples hung around and Jesus said to them, kind of looking at Peter because he was the spokesman, aren't you guys leaving too? And Peter didn't say, no, because we understand completely and we're ready to eat your body and drink your blood and we know you're speaking symbolically of communion and that's going to happen and someday the Catholics will think it's transubstantiation and blame me as the first pope for it, but and I get it, I get it. <laughs> Instead, what Peter says is he goes, uh, sounds weird, but Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. If this isn't real, I know the other stuff isn't. And that's what faith is. And that's how you became a Christian. And that's how we need to continue to walk. Being okay with the fact that we can't do it, that we can't understand it, that we're struggling all the time, that sometimes it just doesn't seem to work and people look at us and just go, what are you talking about? And now that's an opportunity for faith. And our doubts can be great blessings because they force us to have faith. And it's that faith that ultimately allows us to be just to become the people that God wants us to be. That little statement, those six words, the just shall live by faith. Martin Luther, as he was sweeping the floor one day, it just hit him. The just shall live by faith. And he said, in talking about this, he said, you know, I was following God and studying Him and, and worshiping Him, but I hated Him because He gave me a law that I couldn't keep. 
He was constantly giving me rules and I couldn't follow them. And he said, then it hit me. The just shall live by faith. That verse is, it appears four times in the scriptures. It starts out Habakkuk chapter 2. As God is sharing all that he was going to do and the prophet's going, no way. And God said, no, you'll see. The just shall live by faith. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. In verse 16 of chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And then he said, you'll go from faith to faith. It's revealed by faith, and the just shall live by faith. Hebrews chapter 10, again, talking about people's doubts and struggles and not knowing right before the chapter on faith, again, quoting Habakkuk and saying the just shall live by faith. And then it's here in Galatians chapter 3 as well. A powerful statement, a scary concept that God is calling us to walk a wire without a net, that he is saying that's how it works. We in our minds will try and try and try to convince ourselves that we can do it. We will try to live by the law, but the law is a curse. And it'll leave you cursed and cursing. It always does, because you can't live up to it. But the way you came to Jesus, like Abraham, being somebody who's like going to a land where he doesn't know where it is, living in tents when he thought going to promised land meant he'd at least get a condo. And he's living in a tent, and he's not knowing what's going on. And he's wondering, is God ever going to do this? But God appears to him and shows him the stars and goes, you're not going to believe what I do through you. You're going to be the father of the faithful. And I think at that point, Abraham would have said, faithful me? I don't, I'm thinking this is crazy. I think I'm losing it. I'm only sorry they don't have shrinks out here in the desert. This is nuts. And all of his friends, I'm sure, were chiming in. What do you mean? You're going to be the father of a multitude. But it's in that atmosphere, it's in that environment that faith is allowed to grow. The faith that says, I'm going to do what I think God wants me to do, even if it's nuts. Even if it sounds totally crazy, doesn't make sense, and everybody else is wondering whether I ought to do it, and then I keep up a bold face, but then I get off by myself and I think, man, is this crazy? Is this really how I want to spend my life? And God goes, you know what? You are taking those steps toward righteousness. That's what righteousness is all about. The just living by faith. The spirit was given to you by faith. God began to work in your life by faith. And now you have a chance to continue to work that way, to live that way. And that's the only way he's gonna fix you. You can't fix yourself. And until you realize you can't, he can't fix you. Now, I don't know how much biology you know, but I know this. When it's time for you to get surgery, I don't think you should do it to yourself. You know, go, you know, can you just give me kind of a local because I'd like to consult on this one. It's my heart, my lungs. Let me get my hands in here. and I'm pretty handy with things. You know, here, just give me my sawzall and a, and a cordless drill and I'll help you. Wouldn't be smart. You might have supreme confidence that you can operate on yourself because you watched very carefully and kept going back and slow mowing every time house worked some miracle on someone. And so you're thinking, okay, I can do this. But you know what? Even if you're a great doctor, you can't operate on yourself. 
And you can be the best person on the face of this earth, but you're still not good enough to fix yourself. You're still not good enough to be what you really need to be. You can't rescue yourself from what sin is doing to you. And at some point, and let's face it, which of us has any confidence or much confidence even in doctors? There's something about the practice of medicine that just makes me nervous. And when you get different doctors saying different things, it's all contradictory. And, you know, it's like, it's scary. But what I know is I'm not a doctor. So at some point when my life and body is messed up, I need to go trust some doctor, even though I don't fully trust them, even though I don't know, you know, if anyone can save me, he can. No, I just go, well, sorry, this is the best doctor insurance will has on the list or the top of the list or the one closest to my house or whatever, so go ahead. And I trust him. It's a crazy thing to do to let somebody put you to sleep and hack you open, by the way. <laughs> somebody you don't know, somebody who doesn't care about you, they keep calling you by the wrong name. You know, and it, the only worst thing is when you have a Christian doctor and he comes in and goes, well, let's pray before we begin. And you're like, oh man, is it that bad? <laughs> If I want prayer, I'll go to a pastor, you know. I'm coming to a doctor. I want skill. But the truth, <laughs> nothing against you Christian doctors out there. But it's scary. And you have your doubts and you really wonder and you hear the stories in the National Enquirer about they took the wrong kidney out so then they had to take the other one. And, I, and you just go, I don't know though, but I'm getting sicker and something needs to happen. And so if they mess up, I go to heaven. Go ahead, cut me open. I'll count from 100 and knock me out and do whatever you're going to do. That's, in a way, what happens when we come to Dr. Jesus. Yeah, you know, we've heard the stories and things have happened and you know, we've seen him fix other people. We've seen other people's lives turned around. But at some point, we've basically tried everything we can think of. And then we just go, well, I guess I'll try you. I'll give you a shot at it. And God does something. All of a sudden, nothing has changed in my situation, but I have hope. And I just, it's this crazy, like this crazy dream that you, you feel like it might come true. This could be for real. And as you continue to walk with him more and more, there are these little blessings. And in a way that I can't describe, when God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to, I sometimes feel even closer to him than when he does. And I just go, that's weird. He's not a magician, but somehow everything that happens draws me closer to him. And I, and I trust him, though I don't have the answers. He doesn't give me all the information I need. He doesn't have time to explain it to me. He doesn't feel obligated to kind of, you know, get my approval he doesn't come into the operating room and say, here, sign these papers first. You know, it doesn't matter anyway. If you sign those papers, you, you don't read them. You know, you just sign them. It probably says you could die. And you're like, okay, whatever. But a walk with the Lord is a walk that just says, you know what, I'm going to accept that uncertitude. I'm going to take that risk. I'll walk that rope without a net. Because I've figured out I'm cursed otherwise. There isn't anything else that's going to work for me. So I'm going to take this wild chance that maybe his promises are true. 
that maybe he's really going to come through for me. Some days, I'm just certain of it. And I honestly, you know, I can't even remember the last time when I really doubted if God was real or if Jesus really died for me. And so, you know, I can start to think, yep. But in reality, every day, there are things that happen that I really wonder what he's doing. And times that I question whether or not this is really worth it or whether, have I really heard from God or am I just making this up? And that's where faith comes in in a beautiful way. And that's the life that we're called to live. It's scary, but it's real. Would you rather be lied to me? You know, lied to? Would you rather just go, look, just tell me something really easy and simple. Well, great, then go join some other religion. There's that, Sheryl Crow has a song where she says, lie to me, I promise I'll believe. That's religion. Go ahead and tell me your fantasies and I'll really try to believe it. The gospel is, the good news is he's done it. And it's true. But right now we're out living in tents. We're going through the wilderness. It's not easy. And it's not always magical. And many times it's extremely painful and difficult. And it hurts. But you don't have any place to go. So just step out and take that chance. And believe in him. And understand, if you're going to be right... It's going to be because he did it. It's not going to be because you did it. It takes the pressure off. It allows you to just go, okay. Of course, you have the great insurance of Romans 8, 28, that he's going to work it out even if you step off the wire. He'll move the wire and catch you. In reality, as you grow in the Lord, you realize it's not as risky as you thought it was. But at the same time, don't convince yourself that it always makes sense that it's easy and automatic and simple and magic. It's not. The gospel is a promise. A promise of something so magnificent that you can't even fathom it. But that promise is still out there. And like Abraham, you stand there and you look at those stars and you're going, wow. But you're going, somehow there's something to this. Somehow this is worth me dedicating my life to. It's, I'm taking a chance, I know that. But I had no options, so I'll do it. And that's what it is to, to walk by faith. To take any other option is to go for the curse. It's just to accept something that you can't possibly match up to. Your doubts aren't indications that something is wrong. You get that? Your doubts aren't indications that something is wrong. Truth is, your doubts are indications that something is right. When you ought to be concerned is when you don't have doubts. When you know, you're sure. Chances are you just joined a religion. And you're absolutely positive. No doubts, no questions, no nothing. You're following yourself. You're following a God that you made up. Our God weaves in and out, and he's so, his ways are so much higher above our ways that if you know that you know that you know, you probably missed them somewhere along the way. Be encouraged by your doubts. Accept them and realize, I know, that's what I, I'm a tightrope walker. I know, this is life. And I slip and I fall and I get back up because I'm out of options. I don't have other choices. And that's what it is to live by faith. And you know very well how to live that way because it's how you got saved. 
but you need to stay there. You need to stay in that kind of relationship that is in utter dependence and trust that that God in heaven is somehow going to come through. And walking with him is the most rewarding thing imaginable. It's hard, it's confusing, it's painful, but it's amazing when you can look back and go, like Abraham, I didn't know where I was going, but I was living my life trying to find a city that has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. I knew I was working for something bigger than me, bigger than this world, and I went for it. The truth is, it's possible that when I die, it turns out there's no heaven and there's no God. (gasps) Don't say that, Dave. No, it is. Let's face it. Don't be an idiot. Could be. But you know what? If that happens to me, I don't believe it will, but if it happens, I won't have a single regret of walking by faith and believing that dream and holding on to the hope that Jesus was really God and that he's telling the truth and that he's alive. It's the best way to live your life. Oh, I spend days being religious. No doubts, no questions. I'm sure of myself. But my best days are when he forces me to walk by faith. And that's, life. that's real life. That's reality. That's, that's stepping out of denial and into the darkness and going, I have his word. I think this is what he's telling me, and I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do the best I can at trying to do what I think he's telling me to do. I'll just trust him. Gets you in some crazy situations. Takes you through some amazing adventures. But ultimately, it's the only way to get right. It's the only way to be just. Anything else is a curse. You know, Abraham's a hero of me, but of mine, but I have another hero. Um, She was a little Mexican girl, new Christian, and went over for a part-time, short-term missions trip over to Thailand to an orphanage. And when she got over there, the person running the orphanage had left for a little while. And that little while turned into 26 years that she's just been serving the Lord over there. Didn't know what she was doing. She didn't have any training or experience, didn't know the language. But because of her faithfulness, now so many hundreds of kids are being taken care of who wouldn't be otherwise. And the Lord raised up other works after the tsunami down in southern Thailand and now over in Cambodia. And Rose Martinez is a hero of the faith to me because she's somebody who just did something completely stupid. And she was not qualified for it. And after all these years, she may be more qualified than anyone else, but she's still not qualified for it. But she just keeps doing these crazy things because she thinks God is telling her to do it. And it inspires the people around her. And it's like, wow, she's a hero to me of the faith. She's also here today. And you'll, you'll miss one of the blessings of your life if you don't meet her after church. You'll, she's, you'll see her. She's the... Mexican gal with the halo around her head. <laughs> and she's inspired other people, and she has Tam, her young assistant, who did the same thing six years ago and is still hanging in there and serving God. And, you know, just, she just inspires people. But she's the first one to tell you she doesn't know what she's doing. And that's why God's blessed her so much. Are you open to taking a crazy adventure? then life has, God has amazing things he wants to do through you. He's going to promise you the moon and the stars. 
And he'll come through if you can just bring yourself to battle through the doubt. It's all about endurance, ultimately. It's doubting and hanging in there anyway. Going, I know this is crazy, but I'm going to do it. Because I somehow think God's in it. Oh, man, God blesses that kind of faith like nothing else. It's a beautiful thing, living that life of faith. And that's the heart of Paul as he's talking to the Galatians. Don't settle for anything less than this kind of risky life. Don't settle for anything. Don't opt for somebody's certitude and exchange that doubt that can push you to be surprised when God turns out to be real, when he turns out to be God. Let's pray. Lord, you are an amazing God. You do amazing things all the time, and usually it's not what we plan. It's not what we think will happen. Lord, like Abraham, we don't know where we're going. But we want to live like Abraham, the father of the faith. So Lord, whatever you have to do to us to to shatter our confidence and to cause us to question our dogmatism and our certitude to bring us to the point where we are truly walking by faith, not by sight. Lord, do that work in our lives because everything we know lets us down. But everything you promise, it gives us hope gives us something to look forward to. And that's where we want to live, Lord. So help us to do just that. We want to be just. And we keep trying to be just. It's not working. So help us to walk by faith so that we can be declared just by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. There might be...